Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast. I'm Patrick Miller alongside Wayne Pua. Uh, tonight, we're going to cover a range of different topics. Um, we're going to touch on, you know, some some hot sports documentaries that have come out recently, you know, kind of where they rank in, you know, the ones we've seen over the last few years or so. Um, we'll also touch on, you know, some NBA uh, news, also some Major League Baseball uh, news as well. And, uh, and that'll be our show. Um, just wanted to say thanks for everybody who's you know, currently following us, who's liking any of our content, commenting in any way, subscribing is huge for us. Um, looks like at least on Instagram, we're, we're north of 300 followers at this point. So just trying to build a genuine uh, following here and, and like, you know, vice versa, I'd say that, you know, we're also interested in finding, you know, sports podcasts, sports personalities that, you know, kind of line up with our views or, or maybe just are entertaining in, in any sense. So, uh, you know, hopefully you all are enjoying this. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to Wayne to uh, talk about the first documentary on our list. Oh, my God. Uh, so uh, the Manti Teo documentary on, on Netflix, I think it just dropped like uh, last week. But man, oh, man, I, I think like both you and I, Pat, were like we were what uh, in high school, like like later high school or, or no, we were in college or just graduated, I think, because it was like 20 2013 or something but yeah like we were you know we were young we were i think we we're just looking at this man titeo guy right um and you know at least i i remember seeing him you know notre dame he was from indiana or he uh, played in indiana so we're, we you know we're familiar being uh, some chicago people like seeing him and hearing about him um you know i watched a couple of his games they were like awesome they're awesome highlights especially senior year you know i think he had seven interceptions as a linebacker uh and you know, uh, I think he had so much, so much accolades um, coming his way. Was uh, you know, uh, was in the Heisman race, uh, and then all of a sudden, like you hear, like oh, you know, grandma passed away. Uh, also, and then his, uh, and then his uh, girlfriend passed away, uh, and then you hear again. I remember when uh, on Twitter when this whole Deadspin article dropped about uh, Manti Teo. Uh, uh, like having a fake girlfriend and having like this whole thing being a hoax. I remember that dropped and that was just like, this was like one of the first instances where everybody was just going on the internet and kind of playing like an internet sleuth, if you will. Um, like everybody was developing theories, like, you know, was he gay? Was he, you know, uh, all, all these things, you know, now that, you know, in 2022 is a little bit like, okay, let's relax guys and everything. But then it was definitely a very controversial thing. Uh, for a lot of people to talk about, uh, you know, his his draft value uh, dropped. Uh, he was definitely projected as a first rounder and then went into the second, which I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot of uh, like a big difference for, you know, uh, us normal folk where we're just thinking about draft positions. But, you know, uh, you're talking about potentially millions of dollars, you know, first rounders in the NFL, a lot of them have guaranteed contracts. So, you know, that is that is a big drop in, in that sense from his career earnings. Um, and yeah, like you're only going to earn so much as an NFL player, um, you know, over the course of like a 10 year career, if, if you even hit that. So um, so, yeah, like his career definitely blundered. And the, the documentary really, really went uh, did a really excellent job, I think, of describing, you know, the mental health aspect and. Um, its impact on him and then like you know what internet trolls like you know all the memes and, and everything that we do this actually affects actual people 
you know, online bullying is a thing. And you know, it, it, we all talk about things like about the metaverse and how like these abstract things on the internet or the digital world can't have effect in the real world, right? But it can and it has in this sense. And, you know, it, it was, he fell in love essentially online with a person or at least a, a, a figure of an idea of what he would see as a mate or an ideal uh, spouse. And, you know, it, it really just shows like, you know, this whole idea of like uh, what real love is, but then also, yeah, this digital world, this, this other world that uh, we're still trying to understand as people, I feel like um, has an impact in, in our real life and our real emotions. Um, you know, he had anxiety. I think he said like the first, like, like extreme anxiety, like his first three years playing uh, and then eventually sought uh, psychiatric help. And man, it just had a great impact on him. And, you know, that speech at the end, uh, man, I teared up when I heard that. I I, I, was, I felt bad for him. And, you know, I felt like, you know, this guy, he, he's not a bad guy. But it looks like by any measure, he's not a bad guy. Uh, just, you know, made a dumb decision here and everything. Uh, and was he was the victim. And I think it's hard for people to realize that or say that. And um, Pat, yeah, would love to hear your thoughts. And and yeah, well, what did you think about everything there? Yeah, completely blown away. Uh, thought the documentary was really, really well made. Um, maybe one of my favorite uh, sports docs in recent memory. I mean, just from the fact that, you know, hearing the story when we were probably around college ourselves, um, you know, I didn't really understand the full picture. I think, you know, I wasn't as, let's say, on the beat of college sports, uh, or even following Twitter, like closely in that sense to kind of understand all the, you know, all the ins and outs of, you know, his grandma dying on the same day as his girlfriend, uh, you know, what was actually happening with this account, who was on the other end, you know, what was really going on. I think I more or less caught it in like the, you know, mainstream news, you know, type scenario or the ESPN coverage of it. And it's like, when you don't get all the facts, when you don't really know what's going on, you just immediately read to judgment and think, Oh, this guy's crazy. Like this guy had a phony, uh, you know, online girlfriend and, you know, and then he, I, I actually also thought he was in on this whole scheme. Like he was doing it to make himself look, you know, much better, get himself into the Heisman picture talk, you know, potentially, you know, raise his draft stock at the time. So it's kind of like, um, without all those facts and in so many different cases and so many different examples uh, in our modern day society, it's just, I think we're very quick as a society, just completely, you know, crush somebody, uh, cancel them, you know, shower them with harassment and abuse memes, all this other stuff that kind of came down on Manti. And uh, I will say like going through it, you know, going piece by piece through the documentary and like hearing his story and like observing him as a human and how he actually thinks about stuff. I mean, he does come off as incredibly naive. Um, I will say that I think his upbringing had a lot to do with that. Um, it's not his fault. I just think that, you know, he grew up in a smaller society. I mean, I think he's very, he was very disciplined as a kid. You could tell that his dad had really high expectations on him and probably pushed him to, to, to no end, no limits. And I think in a lot of ways he was shielded and, you know, I don't want to go, you know, too deep into religion type talk, but, you know, perhaps his, you know, devotion to his religion and, you know, his craft of football and to his family. Like, I think in a lot of ways he had blinders on, you know, his outlook in life. I think that, you know, because he had all, you know, sorts of successes on the football field, I think that was his world completely. And, uh, you know, I think for a normal person, you know, and I don't, I mean, that's hard to say, like, who is a normal person, but um, 
I would just think that over a course of three years, it'd be really hard to like maintain a close relationship with somebody you've never really met. Um, I could see it as like a pen pal thing if you were, you know, just in need of somebody to talk to, but it, it kind of got to levels where maybe I would never fully understand. Like I just, I could never have a exclusive pen pal who's called my girlfriend and then, you know, just uh, kind of get, you know, twisted through all these loops and turns and like, she's dying one day, she's got leukemia the next day. Uh, she comes back from the dead. She's sending pictures of, you know, a sign and like, you know, everything he asked for. And like, now he did get that validation through his friends that this person like was known somehow, some way, or people at least had communicated with her in some fashion. But it was like, man, I don't know. Like there were so many twists and turns and, uh, you know, I don't want to drop any blame on him in this like situation because I think, you know, Renaya Tuiasa Sopo was ultimately like the catfish in the situation was kind of like, really driving a lot of this abuse and playing some really like ugly mind games with this guy. I mean, it really like destroyed this guy. Uh, not only then, but you, I mean, like you said, like over the next 10 plus years, I mean, this, this followed him everywhere he went and uh, it crushed his draft stock. I mean, they were saying like teams wanted to avoid him. They didn't think he was capable of being a leader. They didn't think they wanted to, you know, grab a guy with this much baggage, you know, following him. Like, who is this guy? Like he must be insane. It's kind of, I guess my interpretation of what front offices were talking about then, but uh, no, you could tell he's, he's definitely uh, matured over the years and uh, just a really, seems like a really down to earth, genuine guy. seems like he works hard for the people that support him and he wants to be a role model. And uh, you gotta, you gotta give him credit in that sense. Like, I feel like in the same sense, you said you teared up. I was watching that. I was just like, this is super powerful because, you know, he's basically saying like, you can say whatever you want about me, but I'm just, you know, I'm just going to still be me and I'm going to be, you know, best version of myself, kind of like a Bill Russell type mindset. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I hope he's doing well now. Um, it seems like he's been out of football for, you know, a couple of seasons or so, but, uh, you know, just in general, I hope that, you know, I know he's married and I think he has a family. So like, I hope, I hope his life has gotten back on the right track. And I think this documentary did like wonders for him as a person. Yeah, no, he, he he didn't just get married. He got married to like a, a fitness <laughs> model, right, or something. So, yeah. So, I mean, how can you not love life? I feel like, uh, you know, yeah. I think this goes to show it's like, hey, you know, things didn't work out. Maybe uh, to in the professional sense or how we would define like as outliers success for this person, right? Um, yeah, sure. It would have been awesome if he was this, you know, generational talent like the next Ray Lewis of some sort, and just kicked ass you know enter the hall of fame and and do all that um but yeah this crappy thing just messed with his head and, and his parents like definitely described that as like yeah he had major anxiety like when he was in his first uh, couple years and they just never really got out of it like he never played that he never played free i think was what he said so um i think my biggest thing was like you know it was definitely a, a what ifs right like what if this never happened that's definitely one uh, what if he chose? What if he chose USC instead of Notre Dame? Because he said he wanted to go to USC, uh, but then yeah, you know this whole like uh, you know uh, some uh, person uh, told him that he trusted like hey you ought to, you ought to be the man the only man Titeo or the 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 only Polynesian basically in uh, in Notre Dame, and I guess that was a good idea. But then it was like, well, uh, Notre Dame's a Catholic school, and I'm a Mormon. <laughs> there's no there's like probably like zero 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 or point one percent polynesians in indiana or whatever where you know in usc there's a lot more i know there's a lot more in the west coast of people in of hawaii and uh, polynesian descent in the west coast area because you know it's closer to family and everything a lot more people 
you know, players have gone of, of Polynesian descent have gone through uh, the USC system. So there's definitely that lineage there. Uh, they also like recruited like Matt Barkley at the same time. I think they were the same year. So that would have been something if you know Matt Matt Barkley on the offensive side, and then uh, you know not the best I guess pro career, but had a you know pretty successful college career. Uh, I think he played all four years and everything. So yeah, that 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 could have been something. You know, I don't know if they would have you know had the na- same national uh, championship prospects as maybe Notre Dame. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But you know, we we, we never would have known uh, all that. So. That, yeah, definitely a game of what ifs and all, but in the end, like, uh, you know, he's made his money in the NFL. Who I don't know what he's doing exactly right now, uh, but hey, has a wife, kids, seems like he's doing pretty well, you know, mentally and at a good space. So, you know, can't, can't, uh, you can't knock on that, uh, especially right now. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't have a ton of other takeaways. I mean, just kind of like, the Ronaya aspect of the whole documentary is just like the darkest, most evil person. Even today, I, I think that person is seriously a sociopath. I mean, it's just like kind of the route she she took to, you know, come out. And, you know, it was Ronaya was a was a male and now identifies as female. Um, but but going through kind of, you know, cousins and friend networks and stuff to like build a new profile to like you know, befriend different people in circles that, you know, she's aware of in real life. And then kind of like, you know, just, just kind of tear people apart in the process. And like, you know, she's gone on this line of like, you know, building emotions for him being like so deep in the tunnel vision. But I mean, honestly just comes off as like a very manipulative, um, it was really insecure type of person to like, you know, completely kind of control somebody in that sense. And, uh, especially when you're using a fake alias and like, you know, just, it's just, yeah, man, I, I, you know, catfishing wasn't really a thing that I think we all were thinking about when we were in college around that time. So it's like, maybe I got to give him a little bit more credit on that sense too. like, you know, where he went with it was a little different than maybe most of us would, but in the same sense, you know, I feel like catfishing has become more of like a cat, you know, a socially, um, you know, more normal, or I don't want to call it acceptable, but it's just more prevalent today than it maybe mm-hmm. was when Facebook got started. But, uh, in any sense, uh, the ups and downs of that doc. I mean, I, I haven't gone through something like that with a sports doc in a very long time. Yeah, no, it, as a doc, like it is funny how, you know, it's a, it, it's a two part series, but it's, you know, it's just two hours really. And it's like, Oh, you know, that's, I feel like that's the Netflix way. It's just like, you know, Oh yeah. I, I wouldn't want to watch like a six hour movie or anything like that, but I'll watch six episodes, one hour each of a docu series. <laughs> right. So, um, but no, yeah, it was really well done. Like they really captured, I think all, all the elements. I was surprised that they got Naya, like how did they, you know, yeah. she, she agreed to it. Um, uh, so I was really surprised that they were able to do that and get like really all the, uh, all the major players involved, uh, you know, including some of the coaches, uh, people from Notre Dame, uh, you know, his family, like, like basically every essential person, people from Deadspin. So, you know, kudos to the producers, uh, for being able to get everybody involved, uh, and get the word out there of, you know, their version, their, their tale of, of the story of that is this whole Manti, uh, Teo's, uh, um, catfishing, uh, scandal. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I guess speaking of some other, uh, you know, sports documentaries uh out there you know uh Derek Jeter 
launched his uh you know was it maybe a couple months ago now uh but i think it just kind of finished off uh this past week i believe uh so yeah uh you know would love to hear pat your initial thoughts of like uh this docuseries that derek jeter had what do you think you know did you learn anything or any insightful fun stuff that you may have gone from it yeah i loved it um it brought me right back into 90s baseball, which is like one of my favorite eras of baseball. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to buy um, the World Series tapes on VHS and I would just go like 1990 and I had every single one for the decade. But we like go back and watch them and kind of the, you know, just the the narrator talking about the teams and the players on those teams. So like just going through, you know, Derek Jeter in the 90s. I mean, it just kind of like brought me right back to childhood when you think 96, 7, 8. Um, or I should say 96, 98, 99, 2000, 97 was the Florida Marlins. Um, but I will say the documentary outside of baseball, um, does a really good job at, you know, putting us back into Derek Jeter's shoes when he was a kid growing up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, um, being biracial in that time, uh, in that area, um, kind of the things he had to deal with as a kid and kind of how his dad, you know, pushed him to, you know, work his butt off, you know, sign a contract that says, you know, I'm going to do this, 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 and that here's all my goals. I'm going to, you know, included accolades, but also, you know, education, behavior, other things to kind of say, you know, you need to work for everything you have. Um, his dad would never allow him to beat him in any sort of game or any activity growing up. So I think that just taught him, you know, if you beat me, you've earned it and that'll push you to, you know, work harder and, and get better at what your, your craft is. But, um, outside of that, I just think that both of Jeter's parents just did a really great job at, uh, you know, instilling confidence in him, um, you know, making sure that he was aware of his social situation, that he was guarded in a lot of ways just growing up. And um, I, I mean, the way he operates, I feel like I have a lot I could really relate to him and how he goes about making friends, establishing networks, you know, what happens if somebody breaks that trust or what happens if, you know, a guy like A-Rod happens to say like, he doesn't think that Jeter's, you know, really a leader, not really a great player, this, this, and that, but they're also, you know, best friends in real life. So it's like, you know, where do you go with that relationship, that friendship? And, uh, you know, I think that Jeter always did a good job of just ignoring, you know, people that he doesn't think like <laughs> added any sort of added value benefits or would treat him, you know, in a way that was, uh, you know, built on trust and built on respect. And, uh, you know, I appreciated Jeter, you know, finally speaking for himself too. I mean, I feel like, you know, what we learned from the documentary is always kind of guarded when it came to the press, especially in New York. Um, so you didn't really know who he was like throughout his career. I mean, I always felt like I knew, you know, the guy he was on the field and like, maybe that was part of his aura. It's just like, that's all you got. Kind of like a Tim Duncan experience. It was just like, he's just gonna win championships and play you know, at an elite level. And, uh, and that's pretty much, that was Derek Jeter. And, um, you know, with the A-Rod situation, A-Rod, you know, if you didn't know about it, decided to maybe like critique his leadership at that time, or, you know, try to establish himself as being the best player and kind of, you know, making that known on paper. And it kind of just led to a lot of A-Rod's own insecurities. So Jeter was just like, didn't really say much about it. It was just kind of like, all right, man, I thought we were best buds, but I really can't trust you. So, um, just learned a lot about, you know, Jeter's personality in that sense. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I liked, uh, it, it really kind of just shows like his, uh, his intellect here with, you know, he knew how to play the press game. He knew how to play the New York press game. 
what to say exactly, how to construct, you know, uh, uh, the proper, you know, framing around a story. Um, and then, yeah, he was like, you know, to hell with it. I'm just going to start my own, my own, uh, company, uh, you know, get the players words out there, you know, it, it, in a way it kind of is, is like a big F you to the press. Although the press kind of like, you know, there's always that debate of like, is he really that good? Is he really not that good or whatever? I mean, sure. His defense might've been sketchy, but the guy's like fifth all time in uh, hits. So he's pretty damn good. Right. So, um, but yeah, like it really just shows like, uh, how you know his intellect in the PR and press game, and how to navigate those things. Uh, you know, I think that's definitely great for you know as a leader is being able to communicate uh, at least you know with uh, external forces as well as internal forces. Right, he was able to communicate uh, with his teammates. A lot of his teammates loved him. You know, he's he's got his homeboys, Posada, Pettit, you know, uh, Gerald Williams, his you know late friend, and everything. Um, so yeah, he was he was definitely well, well liked within the clubhouse. Uh, as well as management liked him, and then you know having the press on his side too. So really knew how how to play the the game in that sense. Um, and yeah, started his own company just to get stories told about players. And then you know now we see that like that's kind of where the trend is now with you know podcasts and new, the new media that I think Draymond Green likes to call it. Uh, so like where the players are the ones uh, creating their own narratives, uh, talking about things, writing articles or. You know, using social media, uh, you know, Instagram or, or TikTok or YouTube to, you know, get their ideas and and their thoughts on certain things that are happening out in the world. So, you know, it it, it really uh, Jeter, in a sense, was ahead of his time. I think I remember the first time when he announced the Players Tribune. I'm like, eh, I don't know about this thing. Is this thing gonna take off? But here we are, and it's killing it. So, um, so yeah, definitely like that. Liked how it definitely portrayed him more as like a family man a little bit. Uh, you know, I liked how. I think that's one contrast in how it differentiated from uh, the the uh, the Jordan docu docu series that you know we can definitely talk about that a little bit later, but that really uh, showcased like his relationship with uh, with Hannah, his wife. Uh, it was pretty funny that you know, and I don't know if this was like all set up, like all his family and friends were like they're kind of the same person, like they you know they they have to deal with the limelight in order to like you know it's part of their job, but they don't necessarily like it or enjoy it or they don't they're not necessarily gravitated towards you know being all showy and everything so um i i liked how they brought about that and then about you know kids and family uh so and i think somebody said it like on uh when they uh i think maybe in the last episode it was like yeah Derek kind of lived like you know as a guy uh like you know as good of a life as at least right now as, as he can he's not even 50 right so um you know, definitely a lot to admire in that sense uh, and kind of how he uh, orchestrated his career in a way and was able to uh, turn it into a another career as, you know, a, a, a owner of the Players' Tribune and then also uh, a short-lived CEO of the Marlins or, own, you know, partial owner of the Marlins. So we'll see what happens if he does get back into an ownership uh, group again. You know, I, I, I know that the angels are back on sale again, so maybe there's something there, but um, yeah, it's, it's hard to beat his career uh, with that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think he did a great job with the Miami Marlins while he was there. I mean, it feel, felt like they were heading in the right direction. We didn't really get the full scoop. Maybe that's just Jeter being Jeter and just like not wanting to get into any sort of issues with ownership that's currently there. Like what the, what the separation was really all about, but it just kind of seemed like yeah. it was in conflict with winning baseball games. And that's what, you know, got him this documentary it was because he 
won baseball games. He won championships. And the reason why he did that was because he was a great leader. He really brought guys together. He got rid of distractions. Like Mm -hmm. if any of these current players in any sport just want to understand what it takes, I mean, just seriously watch that doc, you know, maybe watch the Jordan one, you know, if Tim Duncan happens to make one, watch that one as well. It's, you know, Brady has his own doc. It's kind of like you start looking at who these docs are made after. And it's like, they're not made after guys who, you know, you know, had the most points in their career or, you know, uh, you know, were the faces of Adidas for a time. It's like, you know, really it's, it's just about, you know, you know, doing what you can for the team in order to get you over the hump and, you know, kind of always be, you know, leading by example. And I just feel like that's what made Jeter great. And, you know, everybody's going to argue about his like ranking in, you know, the all-time greats of baseball and stuff. And some people look at his stats or whatever else and say like, okay, he's not an all-time great or whatever, but it's just like, you got to be kidding yourself because, you know, literally, I think you even said it like, what is he fifth all-time in career hits? And, you know, he's got five championships. Like he didn't, he didn't ride any coattails for those. Like he was hitting home runs in those world series games. He was batting over 300, getting on base, you know, nearly at a 400, you know, uh, OBP type clip. It's like, this guy earned everything that he got. And, uh, you know, he's, he's the face of New York, uh, for that whole period of time. And, you know, he's beloved in, in that city and with that team, and that's the best team on the planet for any sport. So, um, yeah, I mean, truly enjoyed it. Um, thought they did a good job of just hitting all the high points. It, it ended at the right time as well. And, uh, you know, really enjoyed that one. Um, I wanted to get your take, you know, cause we watched the Jeter one recently and I think both of us, um, watched, you know, the Jordan Bulls documentary uh, series as well as uh, Tom Brady's, uh, you know, where do you think that stacks up among those two? And do you have any thoughts on the other, the other two as well? Yeah, no, uh, how, I mean, the Jordan one, like I, it, you know, won some awards, I believe, and it kind of set the precedent for all this. It definitely also hit at the perfect time, you know, at the beginning of, uh, of the pandemic and everything, right? Uh, where everybody's like, they got nothing else to do, so let's just watch this Michael Jordan uh, docu series that's that's rolling out. And I think ever since then, it's kind of just uh, snowballed into, you know, oh, uh, we we got to do a docu series for uh, Tom Brady, or oh yeah, we got to do one for Derek Jeter now and everything. So, uh, and there's probably going to be more athletes down the road for that now. So, uh, I, I I think it makes uh, it makes sense to do it though. Um, but I don't know in terms of ranking, like, yeah, definitely Jordan's got to be number one. Uh, I mean, if the, from the ones we talked about, you know, the Manti Teo one in terms of just the, the sheer awesomeness of it, you know, that would definitely be there. But I guess amongst those players, if it's Jordan versus Jeter versus uh, Tom Brady, Oh man, I would say uh, for me, at least uh, I would put Jordan first. Uh and then the last dance, uh, and then I would probably put, uh, you know, I kind of like the Tom, the, uh, I was almost said Tom Brady. I, I kind of like the, the Derek Jeter one first and then the Tom Brady one, actually, I think for my opinion, you know, it was definitely, uh, it touched some like different stories. It, it just felt a lot more interesting in that sense. Not to say that Tom Brady's life is not interesting. It definitely is, but I definitely think that Jeter's, uh, doc, uh, docu-series touched on a number of different bases, uh, no pun intended, uh, outside of sports that really went into his life a little bit more um, in detail, talking about the biracialness, uh, diversity, as well as, you know, uh, coming from Kalamazoo, 
uh and then yeah having his friend pass away gerald williams and uh yeah relationships as well so what really liked how dive really deep into the into all those things a little bit more um from that sense uh and then i guess a close second or close third would be uh the tom brady one so but yeah what what do you think i i align with that that ranking fully i mean i think the Bulls one was great because, I mean, obviously we were a little bit biased because we grew up in Chicago and we experienced those second, you know, the second three, I think clearly Uh, the first three, not as much so. And I think that background really like helped me out as a Bulls fan to understand, like, where did Jordan come from? Where these teams come from and how they really, you know, establish that type of, you know, winning culture and um, to kind of get a a sense of all the different personalities too. like, I know Jordan was doing a lot of uh, monologues throughout it all and kind of it was Jordan centric, but it also he was brought in a cast of characters that we all uh, recognize in that time period, like Phil Jackson and Dennis Rodman and what Scotty's opinions were and even Steve Kerr here and there. Um, so I thought that was really, really well done. Um, it did focus a lot on the actual games and winning, but I also thought it brought you to the locker room a little bit. And like there were some good clips of just like some genuine camaraderie on that team that I thought was just fun to watch. Jeter's definitely second just because, you know, again, like you said, I mean, talking about life um, a lot throughout it all. It wasn't just, you know, uh, what he was doing on the field with the Yankees. It was really, you know, what was happening uh, in the mainstream media involving Jeter throughout his run with the Yanks. And then what was his life like, you know, dealing with racism growing up and what is it like now, you know, being a family man, you know, repairing some relationships that, you know, have maybe gone awry. I don't really think he ever committed to like being friends with A-Rod. I think that was all for show, but I think he's like, yeah, I don't want to really want to be his friend. But uh, the other one is Brady. Um, So I had a hard time with this one because really I didn't feel like I got to know Tom Brady any better watching it. And, you know, I know they covered him at Michigan and uh, Mm -hmm. they did have parts with Giselle involved in it, but maybe it's just not as relatable. Like maybe it's because, Tom Brady just doesn't seem as relatable as like a Derek Jeter does to me. Like he's, he's Darren, he's like, you know, he's married to like a mega rich supermodel. And, (laughs) you know, it's just like, I I think, I think one thing, and this is like going to play on race a little bit, but I do think there is something to appreciate or be inspired about when you watch somebody come from like literally nothing to becoming something. And I'm not saying that Tom Brady was like a little rich kid, but you know, I think I think a, a clear path for him to be successful was was a little bit paved easier for him in that sense. I mean, not to say that he's not the greatest football player to me that I've ever seen. Like I, he that guy's nobody's worked. He's he's the Derek Jeter of football. I mean, nobody's worked harder for what they've gotten than Tom Brady. So I respect him as an athlete, but I think that there is something missing in the sense of like when I watched the Brady one, I was like, this just looks like a Super Bowl highlight tape. It doesn't feel like. I'm really getting to know you better. Like I, I like you any more than I, than I did. And I, and I do like Tom Brady. It's just the doc didn't do as much for me as the others did. Yeah. And you know, when you compare the three, right. In terms of, I guess, story, right. Like the biggest thing for Tom Brady was that he was a six round pick. Like that's, that's pretty much it, you know, was doubted, you know, uh, and uh, coming out of high school was like fifth on the depth chart or whatever uh, at Michigan and worked his way up. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's definitely some aspect of like, okay, you know, struggle, right. Or conflict, uh, the rest though, it's like, okay, you know, he started kicking ass, uh, fairly early, early in his career, when a Super Bowl was his second year, uh, with the New England Patriots, uh, 
Uh, but after that, you know, it was pretty much streamlined. Like you kind of just uh, like, oh, you just won a bunch of games, won a bunch of Super Bowls, won some here, lost some here. Okay. But other than that, you know, uh, yeah, not too much uh, other things uh, with regards to, I guess, his life or any type of controversy or, or any type of uh, struggle apart from, yeah, kind of what happened early on uh, in his career. So, you know, and now 20 some odd years later, it's it's a different story. Like he's the GOAT and he's still playing too. I think that's the big thing. Uh, so, you know, it's like, all right, he's still playing. He's I think we both picked him, his team to win the Super Bowl. So uh, we're like, okay, you know, uh, where's the conflict? You know, I, I think that's kind of the thing we're struggling with to, you know, I, I guess relate or or sense of like, okay, we're going to cheer for you because, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting against something, right? You know, Jeter, you know, even though he's like a first ballot Hall of Famer, fifth and hitting, like still battling, like, oh, he was not, he's an overrated player and everything, okay? So like things like that, uh, I guess, you know, parts of us can like, I guess, like uh, sense some sort of struggle. You know, maybe there's like one for, I guess, Tom Brady just being old, but, you know, he's really, really just been like, you know, like uh, been very, uh, takes care of his body and, and all, which great. You, you eat a bunch of kale. Uh, that's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to grasp exactly uh, kind of, I guess, what, what that all, what that all entails. So maybe there's a little bit of disconnect there, but. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely like yeah the Jordan and Jeter one for sure, though. I mean, you see Jeter dive headfirst into the stands and come out with a bloody eye, and then what do you see Tom Brady get touched by a defensive end and the 15-yard penalty flag goes up? It's like it gets yeah. kind of hard to like feel bad for the guy when he's standing in a pocket. He's got world-class trainer, you know, world-class like you know yeah. cook probably at home, you know, just keeping his body nice and healthy to throw darts. Like yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a little the game's a little different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he gets hurt for a, a year, right? Uh, and then what, what happens? They completely change the roles in favor of the quarterback, and now he's playing. Well, you know, his mid-40s now. So it's yeah. like, okay, you know, the, the entire league is basically, uh, you know, really just uh, subjugated itself to quarterbacks now, um, you know, pr- like partially towards because of that whole Brady uh, injury uh, way back then. So. Um, at least we started to see more of the rules like going towards like not hitting the quarterback late and then referees just calling uh, like, whoa, is that really a, a, a late hit type of thing? Um, so, you know, there's a lot towards, I guess, with regards to how Brady got treated from other people and us or whatever versus how, you know, Jeter uh, got treated in that sense. And then obviously Jordan's story is just really interesting and fascinating <laughs> with all the parties involved there. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, well, outside of those documentary series, I think the one that we're keeping up with right now is this Lakers one, uh, kind of bringing us back to Showtime era, talking probably from 1979 on with the Lakers and the Bus family. But what have you thought so far of that one, Wayne? Yeah, I mean, it's it's okay right now, I guess. Uh, you know, I think for me at least, uh, there's actually I don't want to say it's like a more interesting one, even though it's. Uh, it's a dramatization. I, I think it was. It's actually on. Uh, was it Showtime or HBO? I remember watching it, and I found that a lot. That one a little bit more interesting, actually. Uh, yeah, there's this winning time. Winning time. The rise of the Lakers dynasty. Uh, it's a TV show. It, 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 so far, it's only been what three episodes in uh, into the actual Laker documentary. It's on HBO. Um, but yeah, like that one actually has John C. Riley from our alma mater, uh, DePaul. 
Uh, shout out to the Blue Demons, as well as Adrian Brody, Jason Clark, you know, some familiar faces and names out there. Uh, definitely a dramatization, but, you know, I've gotten some insights that I've already picked up from uh, the the actual document, the, the actual uh, docu-series that's airing right now. It's just in a lot more entertaining way. So uh, I, I haven't gotten too much from it. And, you know, it's like, okay, I, it's nice to get to hear from uh, Jeannie Buss. Maybe it's just one of those, the timing might have been a little bit off with regards to having this HBO series to having this actual uh, docu-series with the actual like Laker family basically all involved there. So maybe there's a part of the timing that, you know, I have uh, uh, just a hard time getting interested into this docu-series, but uh, so far, not too much, not too impressed at the moment, but you know, who knows, maybe there's something that'll come, come about, especially, you know, once it hits the Kobe years. So, but yeah, what do you think? I'm watching it, but I'm like not into it. Uh, I have to like give it a little bit more time, but I'm still watching. So I'm being patient. I think, like I said, for Brady, it's just one of those situations where it's like, it's hard for me to like be inspired by, you know, this rich real estate mogul talking about his struggles, like owning a team and like, you know, going on like millions of dates with like models and stuff and keeping like a weird scrapbook, like, and then it's ultimately going to like play out and just like whole bus family, like fiasco. It kind of sounds like a succession type, you know, uh, like comparison. They're probably going to draw like in this, in this documentary series and like how they produced it. But like, I don't know, man, like I said, it's just like with sports docs, you want to feel like uplifted. You want to feel like, you know, uh, completely invested in these teams and players and like their backstories and stuff. But it's just like, to get the perspective of like the rich owner who's <laughs> I don't know, who's who's having to make the tough decision of giving Magic Johnson $25 million. It's like it's kind of like goofy and I don't know. I, I guess I'll see where it goes. I'm not gonna judge it before I finished it. But uh yeah, I'll keep up with it for now. But uh at the very least, it's helpful to like understand what was going on with that organiz- organization in the 80s because you know, we get products like Pat Riley, who now like runs, you know, the Miami Heat and has had just a tremendous amount of success for himself to like understand where did Pat Riley come from? Like what's his backstory and you know, how did magic Johnson uh, gel with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Like, I don't know this stuff. I mean, I'm aware of it, but it's like, it's now good to like get that perspective. Um, even if I don't think the bus story is all that like interesting. Yeah, no, uh, definitely kudos to all that. And yeah, you know, besides the whole like, you know, sex scandals and, and all that fun stuff for the Lakers, uh, I think one thing, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't get discussed as much is like this whole Jerry West thing when, you know, he <laughs> was, I guess, the coach and then became the GM. And then he it was like he's kind of the coach, but not really. Um, I, I found that whole thing uh, pretty interesting. And yeah, now Jerry West is like seen as like the smartest NBA executive ever, you know, setting up these teams, you know, uh, laid the groundwork for. Uh, you know, the Lakers and where they uh, were for the Kobe and Shaq years and then uh, laying the work for the the Grizzlies when they were making those runs um, to the playoffs coming from nothing. Uh, and then also, you know, now he's uh, I think he's like a consultant for the Clippers, I believe. So um, really interesting to see his career arc going from, yeah, like this uh, coach to more of a GM and kind of like a backroom executive um, and just being really smart in that sense. Uh, it's funny that in that HBO series I was talking about before, he's like this, you know, alcoholic womanizer type of like 
person who just hates everything. And like Jerry West in real life is like, I'm like nothing like that. Like that's like a terrible <laughs> representation. So definitely go watch the HBO version. <laughs> I think that's the, uh, that's definitely the, the more entertaining at least or whatever uh, through all these things. But um, yeah, uh, definitely not in, as into it as I guess the other ones at the moment. So yeah, For sure. Well, sticking yeah. on NBA, moving off of documentary series, um, our boy Dennis Rodman, who actually was in the Jordan documentary, is a pretty big character in that, in that, um, you know, in that documentary series. But uh, I guess Dennis Rodman's on his way to Russia to free Brittany Griner. Um, what do you what do you make of this whole situation? I think I think somebody has to put Dennis Rodman as the new Secretary of State, right? <laughs> like it, that would be amazing. Like he's good. He has good relations in North Korea, apparently. <laughs> Apparently has good relations with Russia. Who do we have problems with? Both those countries at the moment. So, uh, you know, I this guy's got to like they have to have the next documentary go for Dennis Rodman. I feel like he's got the most interesting life. Apparently, he's like lived the most interesting man type of life, right? Like, you know, what married a uh, uh, Carmen Electra, uh, had I guess sex capades with Madonna or whatever, like, and then. <laughs> won NBA championships with Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Like all these crazy things. And then no, what's he doing on his retirement off days? Like, Oh, uh, diplomacy. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just nuts and crazy, but, but if he's able to get Brittany Griner back home, uh, from Russia, you know, that would be just nuts. And he ought to get like the presidential medal of freedom and, that would be the most hysterical thing by far. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, no diplomat has ever come out of the Department of State uh, that's as effective or, you know, uh, risk-taking as Dennis Rodman. I feel like however he's able to conjure up relationships with these people, like, I'm sure it's very baseless. I mean, I'm sure it's like, hey, I remember you from the Bulls and your crazy color, you know, hair that you'd like kind of roll out every single week. Like, you have a new style all the time. And yeah, I do remember you. You were quite the character. And, you know, maybe I'll be more popular if I associate myself with you. I feel like, you know, that's definitely where like Kim Jong uh, Un was coming from and Kim Jong Il, I think, like just in terms of, uh, you know, their association with Dennis and like their fandom of him. But uh, yeah, this whole Putin thing, like who knows? Like, I mean, maybe he's a basketball fan. Like, I don't know if that's been confirmed, but uh, yeah, I'm sure he like probably gets off on uh, Dennis Rodman coming out to to personally talk to him to free Britney. I don't know what it's going to do. Like, I don't know. I haven't read up enough on this situation to be like, yeah, that's the, that's the, you know, the silver bullet that's going to get her out of jail. Um, but it's worth a shot. I mean, I think like it's worth a shot. Hopefully uh, he comes back. Okay. Like he has from North Korea. Uh, hopefully, you know, he's, he's bringing Brittany with him. Um, but yeah, that whole situation, um, you know, at least the last time I heard it was turning into a, uh, an arms dealer for, you know, for, 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 you know, Griner in this, uh, in this trade package. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure it's been accepted, but, uh, yeah, we need to wrap this up, uh, that whole situation, uh, specifically and, and just kind of, end some of this nonsense. Yeah. And if it takes, uh, Dennis Rodman to, you know, get that rebound of, you know, getting Brittany Griner back, like, Hey, you know, uh, what's the worst that can happen? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 it was funny. I was like, like he got approval. I think was the, the key thing. Like, who approved it? Who, who was like, this is a good idea. Let's do this. Like, you know, 
I mean, hey, granted, he's got on his resume, you know, diplomatic relations to North Korea. So that's better than a lot of people, I guess. So, yeah, we'll see what happens here. But um, that will be this guy is living the most interesting life, man, by far, by far. So, yeah, yeah. No, that Department of State should definitely ring him up and, you know, give him a title as soon as possible. I think he'd be great for this administration. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But um, yeah. And then I know, uh, I guess, switching to baseball, uh, you know, there is uh, this news, uh, fresh news with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., the the former uh, White Sox prospect way back then for Jake Peavy. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, got suspended for uh, 80 games uh, for, you know, some, I guess, banned substances or PEDs. Um, Pat, want to hear, uh, what are your thoughts on Fernando Tatis about the suspension, about everything, kind of what he's been going through right now? And, you know, how does this, you think, affect uh, the Padres? What a bummer for the Padres. I mean, as a, as a baseball club, because, you know, you're sitting, you know, dead in the middle of a you know, playoff hunt here. You've got good positioning in the playoffs, probably won't win the division, but, you know, knowing that Fernando Tatis is on his way, you know, possibly at the end of this month or maybe into September. And, you know, what a boost it would have gave that team with Machado and, you know, the newly acquired Juan Soto. They've got a really nice starting pitching staff, um, some other really good hitters, too. It's just like I feel terrible for, you know, those players, for their manager, for their GM. Um, that unfortunately, you know, the guy you extended for 13 years at 300 plus million dollars is just decided to make a really selfish decision and, you know, put himself out for the next 80 games. So that'll, you know, take effect, you know, it already did and it'll bleed into next year too. So, um, yeah, just, it just definitely sucks for all of them. And and it was nice to hear guys like Mike Clevenger, uh, Joe Musgrove, even AJ Preller, the GM kind of speak out about his lack of maturity and his lack of awareness and just respect for them as players and, you know, people inside that organization, because, Flat out, this guy cheated. I mean, I there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. His dad, Fernando Tatis Sr., played in the majors for over 15 seasons. Uh, he was actually um, rumored to have taken some sort of PEDs back in his time. He never got caught on any sort of list, so I don't want to put that out there as you know any sort of fake news or anything like that. But um, just in general, if you've got a dad who played in the major leagues, you should know firsthand, uh, you know, all – of the issues that could come around any sort of substances you're putting in your body. Number one, number two, uh, every single baseball club has a medical staff, a training staff, um, that prescribe drugs to these players, whether it's, you know, pain relievers, uh, you know, any sort of, uh, prescription drugs that they may have to take, uh, that all goes through the team and that gets approved through the team. And every player knows that. And Fernando knows that better than any other player because his dad played in the pros too. And his dad knows that too. And the problem is, is when it comes down to contracts, this, you know, the CBA protects players um, who take steroids from, you know, having any sort of other provisions that would, you know, allow their contract to be voided or allow them to receive, you know, more monetary fines or or games outside of what the MLB establishes. And that's been a players associate, you know, association priority for a long time because they don't want to say, hey, you know, we don't want to give MLB the authority to run a false test and then, you know, damage the image or career of a player that, you know, gets a false test or something like that. So there's been all sorts of, you know, pushback from the players over time about, you know, the penalties for steroids and what happens. So, you know, if you look at this kid, 
He's already got his money. It's in the bag. You know, he has nothing to lose and he's actually playing on his rookie deal right now. His, his, his mass extension doesn't even start until after his rookie deals complete. So he only loses $6 million in this whole thing when he's making 300 plus million over the life of his contract. I mean, it's, it's a la Deshaun Watson with getting 200 guaranteed and having to you know, pay a $5 million fine for, you know, harassing 25 plus women. So it's just like, I don't know. I have zero sympathy for this guy. He said he took Clustaball, uh, you know, for some ringworm that he had. And then his dad came out and said that he had some sort of uh, hair, you know, at the top of his head type itch that he was trying to relieve. So like, you know, family, get your story straight, like communicate with one another. Cause I mean, <laughs> you're the only people that can back each other up. And y- even you guys don't have your stories straight. Um, he's coming out today, you know, real somber type expression. You know, he's, he's apologizing to his country. It's just like this, you know, it's like, let me go barf for a second in a bucket and come back and I'll listen to the rest of your speech. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this guy also kicked off his year by getting in a couple of motorcycle accidents, one that he actually, you know, broke, you know, broke his wrist through. And then another one that he had to like, kind of get to remind himself which motorcycle accident when he was asked by Preller about the accident preseason. So I was like, this guy's gotten multiple motorcycle accidents after signing this mass extension. I mean, he shows absolutely no sign of being a leader. Um, I'd be, I'd be so nervous about the next 12 years with this guy. I mean, I legitimately would just seriously go into this off season, putting out feelers to the entire league and just seeing what the offers are. And I might just take the best offer because I mean, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but you know, he's kind of a loose cannon. He comes off as very selfish, very mature. And uh, at the end of the day, um, you, you got to be worried about stuff like this happening over the course of time. And you also got to evaluate, like, what will his performance be like if he's always been on some sort of PEDs and he just never got caught? Like, what kind of player is he for real? Like, we don't really know if if this has always been a part of his, uh, you know, his makeup. So those are my thoughts. Uh, Wayne, would love to hear what you think. I mean, you touched on you touched based on a lot of, I guess, my thoughts there. But yeah, he's was at fourteen year, three hundred forty million dollars uh, is the contract. Uh, like hire a chauffeur. Uh, you don't need to be doing motorcycles. Uh, yeah, like have a list uh, or work with your actual team doctors or have somebody that is uh, in conjunction with everything that's happening uh, in terms of banned substances, like. These are things that you do as a highly paid professional uh, in any job that you're that you're doing, whether you're the best paid janitor in the world uh, versus, uh, you know, uh, one of the highest paid major league baseball players in the world, too. So um, that's that's what kind of what you sign up for if you are a professional player and playing at a high level and getting the money. So it's it's just one of those things. So, um yeah, I, I think it's just he's young. I think this is a reason why a lot of teams normally don't give these large contracts to just young, uh, either NBA or, or MLB talents, uh, why there is like those rookie deals and, and such. Um, you know, you look at people like uh, with Jay Williams uh, early in his career getting that motorcycle accident. And, uh, you know, he's even admitted like, yeah, man, I was just immature, like, you know, going through life. I thought I was indestructible. You know, maybe Tatis is going through that same kind of, uh, uh, ordeal. So, you know, and Hey, look, I get you're young and, you know, I would, I would, I would, I wouldn't know what I would do if I was 23 and, you know, going to be, 
uh, $340 million richer and everything. So it is definitely hard to say like, oh, I would definitely act differently. Uh, maybe I would go the Derek Jeter route, right? Just be like, a, you know, a guy that's very methodical about, you know, what he says and and how he acts, you know, easier said than done, right? Um, so with all that being said, yeah, he's he's just kind of deserving what uh, he what's, I guess, coming his way. Yeah, he's not going to be with the, the Padres uh, until next year. So, you know, they it is a good thing that they did load up on Soto, uh, who has, what, three years, I think, uh, uh, on his contracts to the remainder of this year and two other years. So, you know, you'll, we'll eventually see two years of Soto and Tatis. Uh, granted, you know, nobody gets traded or anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, I guess there is some prospects, but it definitely hurts the prospects of Tatis uh, or the Padres uh, winning a World Series this year. Um, not to say I think is it Kim, I think is the shortstop is, is terrible. He's actually has some pretty decent numbers, but he's nowhere on that Tatis level. So, you know, it, it's hard, it's bad for the Padres. Um, who knows? Maybe he does uh, have a come to Jesus moment and, you know, uh, gets a chauffeur and, and, you know, coordinates his training staff on, on substances he can use. Uh, and, you know, this is like, yeah, a moment for him to kind of recollect or, or get his, get his life together with regards to all those things that we, I guess we just, we discussed. So, um, but if that's not the case, then, you know, it's kind of like the whole Kyle, Kyle Murray thing with, uh, uh, was it, they had a clause in his contract to watch film apparently, you know, maybe now it's like, it ought to be some sort of a thing for, you know, maybe it, it is going to be more of a thing uh, on clauses like that for a lot of these younger professional athletes. If they are, you know, 23 years old and getting 14, uh, year-long contracts so um but yeah overall it's just not good uh n- not good for anybody i think what's what's occurred so yeah and it hurts the game i mean it, it hurts um you know major league baseball and their pr and their you know fans perception because again we're just coming off of the houston astros cheating scandal among the boston red sox cheating scandal among rumors of the yankees scandal as well during that time period you know, we've gone through the steroid era, and this is your most marketable player next to Shohei Otani, next to possibly Mike Trout. I mean, it's like this guy's on all the commercials, uh, just loved his energy coming out, you know, of the gate for his career, you know, putting up insane numbers uh, all day with injuries. It was like, you know, what a fun guy to to kind of follow. I mean, he just has a ton of charisma, can play multiple positions. Uh, you can speak pretty well. Uh, in English as you know as well as kind of catering to a Latino fan base it's just again like I don't know I I feel like baseball doesn't do itself favors because they don't enforce enough of what needs to be enforced at this point you know from a cheating or a you know PED usage standpoint it's like these are black guys you've already you know incurred and have gone through like can you do something to you know figure this whole situation out and uh, I like your point on the rookie contracts because you know, I think we talked a lot about the White Sox and, uh, you know, don't have to go deep into it. But if we look at the guys that we've extended, like an Eloy, a Luis Robert, you know, Robert, um, Yohan Makata, like we've shelled out some money to some really young guys. And, uh, you know, some of them act like, you know, in my opinion, like their shit don't stink. Like they're wearing, you know, uh, multicolored gear on top of their unis with gold, you know, gold chains and you know buttons all the way down to their stomachs and stuff. Like I'm not being trying to be the old man here, but in the same sense, I'm like, these guys, like, 
need to like clean it up a little. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just need to like just get into the game a little bit more. Show us why you're worth all that money. Um, and I think when you give it out too early, you know, some of that incentive just goes away. Like they're sitting back, like, I don't really have to push myself for another five years until I'm due for free agency. So thanks for the cash. And, you know, I have boatloads of talent, but I just have no drive anymore. And uh, it's crazy because for the Atlanta Braves, we watched, you know, them do the same things with Acuna and Albies. And now they're doing it with uh, Austin Riley and Matt Olson. And they just uh, extended Michael Harris. And it's like, for some reason, those guys all gel and those guys are all like pushing themselves and like they're playing at like all-star superstar type levels. And it's like, damn, man, I wish we had that. And, um, you know, it's a good question to pose. Like, is it worth extending a guy, you know, that young? Like what kind of culture you need around your organization? Like what kind of coaches do you need to have in place? Like who are, who's your front office staff? Like who, you know, are there other layers to what the Braves do versus the White Sox versus the Padres? And like, they're all good questions, but uh, yeah, I'm just disappointed uh, that this again has happened and it feels like the door is open for more of this to happen as long as these contracts are all guaranteed and these guys can just sit in the hole and use PEDs and, you know, lose a couple mil here and there on their multi hundred million dollar contracts. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm getting a lot of attention when I do put up my numbers and you guys don't catch me. Yeah, no, I, and I, yeah, I, I like how you brought the White Sox in it for sure. Cause you know, I, I think it's, you got to look at leadership, you know, who's, who's running the, the, the places here, uh, whether it's man, you know, the manager uh, or goes higher up from there, or the hitting coaches, you know, for whatever reason, like there's definitely all this talk about like, you know, how much does the Russa contributing to the White Sox failure here? Right. You know, whether it's, these decisions on keeping players in or out or, or any adjustments like that versus also like, does he own the clubhouse or is he like, you know, is he contributing uh, positively in the clubhouse? Is, is he keeping these guys accountable and making sure that they're, you know, being disciplined in that sense? Cause like, you know, usually when you have a performance of like, you know, with Mankata, you know, like he was like betting like under 200 for a lot, for like a lot of the season, you know, for you know, definitely had some injuries here and there, but, like, come on! Like, he's 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 our he's one of our he's supposed to be one of our, our one of our best players. So, yeah, like, what is happening? I think with the White Sox is, is definitely you know you can definitely put a lot on the on the leadership, but they they kind of copied or maybe the it's more so the Braves copied what the White Sox are doing, but they're just succeeding at it. They're just doing it better. Um, so you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the culture that they're building around uh, with these players. So, um. Yeah, I, I think there's there's got to be some, you know, uh, I think for any organization to strive or, or win, uh, kind of having somebody to, you know, keep people in check, you know, if you will, uh, where, yeah, you can have fun. You you can, you know, like you look at Phil Jackson, what he did with the Bulls, like, you know, he had somebody like Rodman uh, and then all, obviously like, yeah, someone as big, bigger, larger than life with Michael Jordan had all these people and all these personas and all these egos, but was able to navigate all that. Be like, okay guys, let's focus. Let's let's, you know, he had his Zen uh, type of techniques, uh, you know, for people just to, uh, I guess, ease down. So they, they feel like they didn't have to like do anything too crazy uh, that would jeopardize the team. So um, yeah, like I, I think that's, uh, you know, what the white Sox need. Uh, you know, maybe that's, uh, I don't know too much about the Braves manager, their management, but it, Maybe they they do have some sort of like structure in place there to you know, keep some of the younger people uh, in check and more disciplined in that sense. And having that 
that uh, more nurturing type of uh, atmosphere. So, yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say uh, what Tatis is doing. I, I don't know uh, the the management there, what they're how they're treating this whole situation. But it sounds like there's a lot of disappointment. So I'm I'm glad there's that. There's a lot of that. You know, it's like that. This is not acceptable, man. Like we need you, and you're letting everybody yeah. down. So uh, at least I think I'm thankful for that. And you know, yeah, hopefully I think for for Tatis and for baseball's sake that he does come back and you know has his head on straight. So. Yeah. yeah, I'll plug David Sampson of Nothing Personal with uh, CBS Sports. He did a great job of covering um, his his views on the Fernando Tatis situation. If if, you, if you're out there and you want to listen to kind of insights from a guy who used to be a president of a baseball organization, he was that for the Miami Marlins. He was a GM for the Montreal Expos. Um, so he's been around the game. He knows you know, both. He knows Fernando Tatis pretty well. The senior version he knows what fernando tatis jr is going through right now and uh no it was, it was good to listen to but yeah i mean there's there's a lot at play when it comes to peds and these guys and uh you know hopefully there's just a game and uh the mlb players association come together and kind of rethink some of these rules and provisions and contracts because it's turning into black eyes for their own sport and you know it's going to do them more harm in the long run than it you know will hurt them in the short run with uh you know, any sort of, uh, you know, PED fines or, you know, suspensions or anything else like that. So uh, with that um, transition into, uh, you know, another PED, I mean, just kidding. Uh, Albert Pujols uh, is on a absolute run right now. Um, Cardinals have won eight straight. Um, Pujols has had, I think you said it, Wayne, seven home runs in the last week or so, um, just on an absolute tear. Uh, what do you make of his whole performance lately, lately and, you know, what he's doing for the Cardinals at his age. Yeah, he, he should have never left uh, the, the Cardinals, I feel like. You know, his his career, I feel like, would have turned out so much better, maybe. Because he, like, he left, I think, when he was, like, 32, like, once he was the Angels, I believe. So, uh, yeah, like, man, it, it, I love it. I love it. Like, this is his last year. This is his last hurrah. He's leaving it all out there on the field. Um, I think he's probably trying to, he's like, man, I want to get to 700 home runs, right? I think A-Rod's ahead of him at uh, like 696 or something. So, you know, I love that he's able to, yeah, he's three behind Alex Rodriguez here. Uh, Right now he's fifth all-time in homers. So, um, but yeah, just one honors for NL Player of the Week uh, with seven homers in the last 12 days. Uh, And his OPS is the highest it's been since, uh, since he was with the Cardinals last, actually, in t- 2011. So it's like, wow, uh, what a year he's having. I love it. 42 years old last year, one of the best uh, hitters, you know, the baseball has ever seen. Uh, you know, if you remember him, like, you know, when he was in his 20s in the Cardinals, uh, he was unstoppable, you know, for, for any of the young bucks listening here. So, like, most feared batter uh, is – his uh he had a quick bat and then powerful swing all at once and had one of the best rookie seasons as well uh so again uh love albert love what he's been able to do with the game um you know uh class act uh, from you know as far as i'm concerned i don't think there's any really been any type of uh contra- controversies really surrounding him uh but you know a uh, world series winner uh definitely going to be a first ballot hall of famer so um, love what I'm seeing out of Pujols. It's kind of the contrast, I think, at least right now with the with this whole Tatis situation, right? So, 
uh, where you know he was he was definitely loyal to the to the Cardinals up until you know uh, I think his last years with them. Just uh, you know I think he just wanted to get a little bit more money and see a little bit more sunshine, live on the coast a little bit, live life a little bit. So um, you know, can't knock a guy for that. So, but yeah, love Albert. Uh, you know, wish him a nice retirement. Who knows what happens in the postseason? You know, that that, that would be something. Uh, I think we talked about how the the Cardinals have a couple of the best players in war, right? Uh, with Arenado and Goldschmidt. So uh, great that they uh, are achieving a lot this season. Um, and yeah, the Cardinals are a great organization, just one of the best baseball organizations. So really awesome that they're able to have someone like Albert uh, finish his career off with them. So, but yeah, what are your thoughts, Pat, on this uh, whole Pujols uh, resurgence? It's cool. It's cool, especially at 42 years old. Um, you know, hopefully, I mean, I know it's kind of making uh, references to PED. That's not anything that he's been, I think, on paper as being found to have in his system. Hopefully that has nothing to do with this because that would be an absolute tragedy. But um, I won't go there. I'll enjoy this run. Um, really cool to see a guy his age go out there hitting a ton of home runs, you know, putting a team into the playoffs pretty much on his back. And, uh, you know, his numbers play for an everyday major league player at his age. Like it's not just that he has this run of home runs. He's been 277 with a 350 OBP. Like you said, highest OPS since 2011. Um, just thinking back to Albert, like coming up and just being a man, like immediately, you know, off the bat, 130 RBIs, 30, you know, seven home runs, just like at 21. And then even in those days, he was playing left field, right field, third base, first base. It was like, this guy could do it all. And I just like was kind of in awe of like, where's this guy come from? Like, who is he? Like, what is like, how is this possible? Um, just a, like a kind of an A-Rod type start to his career um, in a lot of ways, Ken Griffey Jr. even. So, um, yeah, Pujols will definitely go down as one of the best hitters, especially right-hand hitters of all time. Um, just a flat-out rake, controlled the you know strike zone, just put up numbers year after year. And like you said, great leader. I mean, him and Yachty together was always kind of like the brotherhood. Even when he was you know visiting as an angel, they'd always like stop the game to – have him tip his cap and he would hug Yachty and stuff and be crying and everything like that. It's like when you play baseball in St. Louis, it's like, it's, it's a culture, you know, it's like, it's cool in that sense. Like it, they're, they're, you know, I've been to St. Louis. I'm sure you have Wayne. Like, I don't think it's that cool. Like I, I St. Louis is like real forgettable to me and no offense to anybody in St. Louis, but like, I mean, definitely take offense to that. But uh, I just think it's like one of those towns where it's like, if you're from there, you're Cardinals like diehard and like that is life. And then, you know, you go to any other major city that has a baseball team, like maybe outside of New York when you're in the Bronx or something, but like, really, there aren't a lot of cultures like that. I mean, the Cubs, you know, I don't obviously love the Cubs, but they have a really, you know, uh, united culture in that sense. I feel like it is life for some people to go to those games. But uh, um, anyways, he's going to cap off a great career. Hopefully he gets to 700 just for for the fun of it. Uh, Could he pass the babe? I don't know. I mean, it would take like a, absolutely historic run here in this you'd have to do like a sammy sosa you know 20 homer a month in september or something like that but uh no i mean it's it's cool and uh he's becoming fantasy relevant which is just insane at his age too so he's like popping up as like the top player to pick up and i'm just so hesitant because he's 42 years old in a dh and has been washed prior to these years but uh you know good for albert man like if he wins a world series on his way out i mean Again, we're talking new documentary series that we probably, you know, will fire up and he'll probably have a documentary series at some point soon. 
Yeah, I know. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, you look at his career stats and everything. Like, how do you not appreciate this guy or call him one of the best players of all time and everything? Um, yeah, he didn't have like the best, I guess, overall. Like, I, I think his uh, his uh, batting average went down when he went to uh, uh, California. Um, but apart from that, you know, his power, I think, kind of stabilized somewhat there. So, uh, but yeah, you know, hard to knock on him uh, for going to sunnier weather, especially after making your your money, bringing a World Series to the Cardinals. Uh, you can't fault him for that. A couple, of, you know, I think he had with oh, like three MVPs as well. So when he was the Cardinals, so you know, yeah, he deserved uh, to to get a little bit sunnier and everything. Um, and yeah, he's uh, you know, supporter of Down syndrome. I think his he has a daughter with Down syndrome. So it's like, you know, this this kid, this guy's an angel and everything. Although I think his like nickname's the Machine, right? So, uh, yeah, love uh, love love me some Albert. So, but yeah, wish him the. Uh, Good rest of the season and uh yeah, happy retirement, man. Enjoy life. For sure. Um, you know, with that, I think that kind of is a wrap on our uh episode for today. Wayne, do you have any last thoughts about any of the topics or sports overall right now? Uh not too much on sports, but uh, you know, there's a lot of I guess controversy over the the Finnish prime minister. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but apparently there's like some videos of her dancing and you know. She's a she's a nice look, you know, looking uh, prime minister, I'll say. But I'm like, you know, if she gets the job done, good for her. She can dance like it's totally fine. But anyways, that's my closing thoughts on, uh, you know, maybe. Hey, maybe we'll send uh, Dennis Robin over there to, you know, stabilize things. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot a lot worse things to for a prime minister to do than dance. So, yeah, I'm with you. Let her dance. Let her do her thing. Let's not let's not judge. Uh, you know, people are judging Manti Teo until he put together this great documentary series. So everybody deserves a second chance or a chance to be themselves. Um, I actually had only one other parting thought. Uh, Wendy's is going big on breakfast right now and decided to launch these French toast sticks. I mean, they looked pretty damn good from the commercials. I don't know if you checked this out at all, uh, but I but I did need to know, Wayne. I've never asked you what is your favorite fast food restaurant and uh would you ever get down with some wendy's breakfast i would definitely get down for wendy's <laughs> breakfast i i live close to mcdonald's though so, like not close to wendy's i don't like is is popeyes considered fast food Maybe oh dude bit. i'm so on popeyes that's yeah like seriously that's my favorite yeah okay like all right cool i'm glad you said go ahead i don't want to no, cut you off i just get I mean, excited I mean that's it. I I just said Popeyes is my favorite. Like that's that's uh, all, that, no explanation other than yeah. You know, I love the biscuits. I love their style of chicken a little bit better than uh, KFC. Again, I'm not gonna knock on KFC for that. But if there's like one on one corner, the other one on the other corner, I'm gonna go to Popeyes 100. So yeah, it's the whole package, right? It's like when you go through that menu, like you're not gonna get anything. There's no like, there's no bad choices. You know what I mean? Like. You're yeah. going to get the mashed potatoes or you're going to get the new mac and cheese or they're going to bring these like really well seasoned fries or you got a biscuit on the side or two or three. And then you have chicken in so many ways. You can get bone in, you can get the tenders, you can get the fast food leading ch- you know, chicken sandwich. I mean, it pretty much blew every other competitor out of the water that ever tried to make a chicken sandwich or has since that point. So um, anyways, I saw those French toast sticks. They remind me of when I was a kid and grab them in these big bags in the grocery store. I was like, Damn, man, do I have to give Wendy's a second look? Like, <laughs> like I, I'm not a big Wendy's dude, but I'm like, they're really pushing breakfast right now. Like, yeah, like pulling out all the stops. 
Wendy's Twitter too is like the best thing ever. They're just hysterical. Like I don't know if they they like hired like Dave Chappelle to do it, like some sort of person that like is really good at jokes. But um, yeah, shout out to uh, whoever's handling Wendy's uh, uh, social. Uh, they're doing an excellent job on just ripping everybody. So yeah. yeah. And Reggie Bush, like he lost his Heisman, but now he's like the face of Wendy's. So like I don't know Heisman, free face Wendy's. Wendy's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, give it to Reggie Bush, man. He's there early in the morning. He's being supportive of the morning crew there and getting his his fix of uh of of biscuits. But uh, I'm yet to try Wendy's breakfast, but I'm getting more and more tempted by each new commercial that I see from them. So, yeah. cheers to Wendy's. Cheers to Wendy's. Yeah. Now I'm now I'm hungry. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's let's make it a wrap here for the Ball and Breakfast podcast. We should probably grab. You know, some of that breakfast at some point to go along with the ball. But uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Give us a subscribe, uh, a like, a follow, anything. And we'll see you next time. Thank you all.